I'm your reader, Dale Finnegan. It's time to turn to today's obituaries from the Des Moines Register. Wayne Barker passed away on April 28th. Visitation will be held from 9 a.m. until 11 a.m. on Thursday, May 7th at Henderson's Highland Park Funeral Home. Private family services will follow the visitation at 11 a.m. The funeral service will be live-streamed on the Henderson's Highland Park Funeral Home Facebook page, allowing others to virtually attend the funeral. Left to cherish his memory are his children, Sherry Barker Russian and spouse, Bishop Kenneth, Pamela and Anthony Barker, stepson, Stephen Barker, siblings, Evelyn Barker Muhammad, George Woods III, Gerald Woods Sr., and wife, Phyllis, Sharon Mosley, Tony Woods and spouse Patricia, Lewis Woods and spouse Geraldine, David Woods, Stephen Woods and spouse Monica, as well as a host of extended family and friends. A memorial in loving memory of Jessica Lynn, born 427-1977, died 5-6-2013, always loved, never forgotten, forever missed. Jeanette Marie Baldwin of Mingo, age 88, passed away on Sunday, May 3rd at Mercy One in Newton. Private family funeral services will be held at Immaculate Conception Catholic Church in Colfax. Burial will take place at Graham Cemetery on Saturday, May 9th at 11.15 a.m. and is open to the public. Memorials may be directed to Immaculate Conception Catholic Church or the Mingo Fire Department, and condolences may be left for the family at www.coburnfuneralhomes.com. The daughter of Linwood and Catherine Kelleher Gillian, I'm sorry, Gillen, Jeanette was born on October 3, 1931, in Kennett Square, Pennsylvania. Jeanette attended St. Patrick's Catholic School through 8th grade and then graduated from Kennett Square High School. She attended Beacom Business College in Wilmington, Delaware. On October 6, 1951, she was united in marriage to James Baldwin at St. Patrick's Catholic Church in Kennett Square, Pennsylvania. Jeanette was a member of Immaculate Conception Catholic Church, where she was active in the Altar and Rosary Society. She was also a longtime member of the Mingo American Legion Auxiliary, the Mingo Women's Club, Lunch Bunch, and a past board member of the Central Iowa Water Association. Jeanette worked and retired as the postmaster at the Mingo Post Office. Jeanette's greatest enjoyment was spending time with her family at her farmhouse. She often wrote letters and phoned distant family and friends. She had a deep concern for the well-being of everyone she knew. Those left to honor her memory include her children, Mark Baldwin and spouse Deb, Elizabeth Birkenholtz and spouse David, Timothy Baldwin and spouse Janine, and John Baldwin and spouse Lori. Twelve grandchildren, Angela Clark and spouse Chris, Jacob Baldwin and spouse Katie, James Baldwin, Aaron Birkenholtz, Allison Birkenholtz, Michael Birkenholtz, Mark Baldwin, Anna Baldwin, Kathleen Baldwin, Carrie Baldwin, Stephen Baldwin and spouse Caitlin, and Jenna Baldwin. Five grandchildren, five, excuse me, great-grandchildren, Jonas, Jada, Sydney, Baldwin, Noah and Carson Clark, and a sister, Claire Gillen. Preceding Jeanette in death were her parents, husband Jim in 1978, a daughter, Claudia Baldwin, at age nine in 1961, and an infant sister, Dolores. 
The family would like to thank the staff at Park Center and Mercy One in Newton. Jeanette's death was due to complications associated with COVID-19. Douglas J. McKinnon, age 89, of Des Moines, died May 4th at Kavanaugh House in Des Moines. Douglas was born on December 19, 1930, in Battle Creek, Michigan, to Alexander and Ella McKinnon. A celebration of his life will be held on Friday, May 8th at 1 p.m. at Westover Funeral Home. A private family burial will take place at Iowa Veterans Cemetery. Doug moved to Des Moines in 1948 from Mount Vernon, New York. He entered the United States Marine Corps in 1951 and was wounded in action. He was a Purple Heart recipient. After recovering, he attended American Technical School in Des Moines, graduating in 1953 with an FCC license and telegrapher endorsement. That same year, he joined KIOA Radio and began a long career in radio. He began his career as an engineer and changing in 1957 to disc jockey in the Midwest market. Doug took some liberties and had a program that many teenagers stayed up at night to hear. The element of the unexpected was always present on his shows. He moved to Morning Personality in 1959 and became one of the original KIOA Good Guys and garnered number one ratings in his time slot for over a decade until July of 1964. He hit the road and work for radio stations in Indianapolis, Omaha, Denver, Salt Lake City, Tulsa, and Minneapolis. He enjoyed the privilege of being Master of Ceremonies show for The Beatles, Willie Nelson, Dolly Parton, Waylon Jennings, Roy Clark, and Neil Diamond. He was inducted in the Iowa Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2003. In addition to his years on the air, he was also editor-publisher of Iowa Scene magazine. He sold the magazine and retired in 1993. Doug was also a proud member of the Military Order of the Purple Heart, Chapter 777. Doug is survived by his children, Don McKinnon and spouse Leslie of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, Kathleen McKinnon and spouse Randy of Des Moines, Peggy Thomas of Grimes, Brian McKinnon and spouse Kathy of Ankeny, Craig McKinnon of Des Moines, Laura Astengo of Urbandale, and Chris Wright and spouse April of Worthing, UK. He is survived, also survived by 16 grandchildren, 36 great-grandchildren, and three great-great-grandchildren, and his beloved basset hound, Heidi. He was preceded in death by his wife of 62 years, Mary Lou, his parents, Alexander and Ella, his sister, Peggy Rayborn, and brother, Don McKinnon. Memorial contributions may be made to the ARL. Online condolences and a live stream of services will be available at www.islescares.com. Leroy E. Coolers, age 77, of Ankeny, died Sunday, May 3rd at Mercy One in Des Moines. Memorial services will be held at 10.30, Friday, May 7th, at the First United Methodist Church in Rockford. Reverend Dennis Burns will officiate. Visitation will be one hour prior to services at the church. Contact Fullerton Funeral Home and Cremation Services, 123 2nd Street Southeast, Mason City, 50401, phone number 641-423-8676 or 
641-756-3311, FullertonFH.com, or Facebook slash Fullerton Funeral Homes for more information. Bob Clayman, 87, of Des Moines, excuse me, of Carlisle, passed away April 30th. Bob served in the Navy during the Korean War. Bob is survived by his wife, Beverly, children, Sue, Bob and spouse Kelly, Bill and spouse Joyce, Mary Jacobs, Sandy Peterson and spouse Carrie, Patty Emerson and spouse Matt, stepchildren, Ed Rawson and spouse Kathy, Sandra Pettyjohn, Phil Rawson, sister, Josephine Sims, brothers, Dick, Jim, and Joe, spouse Kitty, many grandkids, great-grandkids. Bob was preceded in death by his first wife, Pauline. Services will be a private burial with a celebration of life later. A funeral service for Larry Heberlin, age 79, of Macedonia, will be held on Thursday, May 7th at the Mason Funeral Home in Pleasantville at 2 p.m. Visitation will be held one hour prior to the service. Burial will be in Pleasantville Cemetery. In lieu of flowers, please consider donating to the Pleasantville FFA or the American Heart Association in memory of Larry. Online condolences may be left at www.bertrandfuneralhomes.com. Those left to mourn him and cherish his memory include his wife of 60 years, Karen, his children, Rhonda Crone and spouse John of Prairie City, Susan Heberlin of Pleasantville, and Beth Love and spouse Corey of Macedonia, son-in-law Chris Scoville of Pleasantville, grandchildren Denise Scoville of Prairie City, Stacy Scoville of Des Moines, Jessica Scoville of Newton, Michael Ackenbach of Adair, James Love of Guthrie Center, Jennifer Love and Zayla Love, both from Macedonia, eight great-grandchildren, brother Stephen Heberlin and spouse Joanne of Indianola, brother-in-law Richard Hunter of Pleasantville, Gary Fisher and spouse Janie of Pleasantville, Barbara Marchand and spouse Gary of Indianola, many nieces, nephews, and cousins. Phyllis McNulty, who went by Jean, age 92, of Des Moines, passed away May 3, 2020, at Prairie Hills Assisted Living. Jean was born December 24, 1927, in Belmond, Iowa, to Benjamin and Nina Reese Fetro. She graduated from Belmond High School. In 1945, Jean married Paul McNulty. She was a member of Christ the King Catholic Church, of which she was a member of the Altar and Rosary Society. Jean enjoyed her summers for many years at Lake Ponderosa with her family, painting and bowling. Jean is survived by her children, Nina Urum and spouse Gary, Reese McNulty and spouse Linda, and John McNulty and spouse Beth. Seven grandchildren, 12 great-grandchildren, and five great-great-grandchildren. She was preceded in death by her parents, her husband, Paul, and a daughter, Kay Winfrey, one sister, three brothers, and one step-grandchild. A graveside service will be held at 9 a.m. Saturday, May 9th at Sunset Memorial Garden Cemetery. Due to current COVID-19 restrictions limiting gatherings to 10 people or less at the graveside, friends are asked to remain in or near their cars to practice social distancing. 
All are welcome, just social distance. The family would like to thank the staff of Prairie Hills for the love and kindness shown for the last nine years of caring for our mother. Memorial contributions may be directed to Prairie Hills Assisted Living. Condolences may be expressed at www.hamiltonsfuneralhome.com. Helen E. Osborne was born October 16, 1925, in Mountain View, Missouri, to parents Viola and Peter Tabor. She passed away peacefully on May 1st at the age of 94. Helen retired from the Des Moines School District and moved to Fraser to enjoy many years with the love of her life, Hugh, of 59 years. She enjoyed reading, crocheting, and doing her daily crossword puzzle. Helen was the number one fan of entertainer Daniel O'Donnell. She is survived by her sons, James Osborne and spouse Polly Ann of Altoona, and Scott Osborne and spouse Pam of Des Moines, daughter-in-law Debbie Chapman and spouse Marty, brothers Robert Kirkpatrick and Pete Tabor Jr., sisters Phyllis Ferris and Sharon Jackson, ten grandchildren and many great and great-great-grandchildren. She was preceded in death by her husband, Hugh J. Osborne, sons, Stephen J. Osborne and Jeffrey W. Osborne, grandson, Scotty Osborne, and her brothers, Harold Tabor, Floyd Tabor, and Kenneth Kirkpatrick. She will be laid to rest at Iowa's Iowa Veterans Cemetery in Van Meter. Due to COVID-19 restrictions, there will be no services at this time. Family will gather at a later time to celebrate her life. Janet Eleanor Smith of West Des Moines, age 77, passed away Sunday, May 3rd at the Iowa Veterans Home in Marshalltown due to complications associated with Alzheimer's disease. Funeral services will be at 2.30 p.m. Friday, May 8th at Isles Westover Chapel. Burial will follow at Rest Haven Cemetery. Due to the social gathering limitations, Janet's services will be private, but available for live streaming. To access the live stream, please visit www.islescares.com, go to Janet's obituary page, and scroll down to a link to join the webcast that will appear 10 minutes prior to the service. We encourage friends and extended family to leave online condolences and view the life story video also on the website. Janet was born May 30, 1942, in Bancroft, to Harold and Dorothy Alt Lampy. She was an Army captain during the Vietnam War, serving in Japan. On July 3, 1965, Janet married Dwayne Smith in San Francisco, California. Janet worked as a dietitian. She was a member of St. Pius X Catholic Church and enjoyed sewing and quilting. She won many ribbons at the Iowa State Fair for her entries. Survivors include her husband, Dwayne, children Theodore Smith and spouse Tracy of Des Moines, Gretchen Wickware and spouse James of West Des Moines, Catherine Downing and spouse Troy of Urbandale, Timothy Smith and spouse Brandy of Gilbert, Arizona, five grandchildren, four great-grandchildren, three brothers, and seven sisters. Janet was preceded in death by her parents. Memorial contributions may be made to Iowa Veterans Home, Eulery, that's U-L-E-R-Y, 7. Joseph Arnold Stonebreaker, known as Joe, of Waukee, died Sunday, May 3rd, of congestive heart failure. He was 66 years old. A funeral service will be held on Thursday, May 7th at 2 p.m. at Westover Funeral Home. 
burial will follow at Glendale Cemetery. His parents, Jean and Arnold Stonebreaker, preceded him in death. He graduated from DMACC with a degree in hotel and restaurant management. He managed the Winterset Golf and Country Club and owned Sergeant Pepper's Bar and Grill in Ankeny. He was an electronic technician at Best Buy and blood gas machine technician for Radiometer. He loved music and played the guitar, always dreaming of being a rock star. He enjoyed watching sports and NASCAR races. Joe was a friend to all and lived life to the fullest. He is survived by a son, Ryan Joseph of Waukee, granddaughter, Ilana Stepek, sister, Janine Kramer of Waukee, and special friend, Corey Young. Memorial contributions may be directed to the Central Iowa Music Lab. A live stream of the services and online condolences will be available at www.islescares.com. Dale Austin Noel, 93, of Des Moines. Beloved husband and best friend of Catherine Lee Schaefer Noel, known as Kay, passed away peacefully on May 4th. He was predeceased by his parents, Horace and Artie Lockard Noel, and one granddaughter, Shante Noel. Dale was born in New Sharon on October 26, 1926, on a rural farm. Except for service in the military during World War II, Dale was a lifelong resident of Iowa, having lived in several towns throughout his life. His most current being Urbandale for 55 years and Des Moines for the last five years. He attended the University of Iowa for one semester before entering the Marine Corps in May of 1944 at the age of 17, after having received written permission from his father. He served with the 2nd Division on Saipan and as part of the occupation forces in Japan after the nuclear bombings. He was honorably discharged from service in August 1946 from Great Lakes Naval Station. He later went on to earn an AA from the Area Institute of Business in Accounting. It was shortly after starting school at AIB that he met Catherine Lee Schaefer in 1947 when he borrowed, in quotes, some lemon drops which were sitting on her work desk, and that began a lifelong tradition. Dale and Kay were married March 1948 in Baxter, having recently celebrated their 72nd wedding anniversary. To this union were born three children, Gary, Marguerite, and Lee. Dale and Kay were longtime campers for many years, being members of the NCHA Camping Association, excuse me, organization, and held various capacities within this group, both state and national. Dale was an avid bowler in the Des Moines area for several years as well, holding various positions with many different leagues. He was inducted into the Des Moines Area Hall of Fame in 2011 for his years of service and accomplishments. Dale, along with several other World War II veterans, participated in an honor flight in 2009, which took them to Washington, D.C. to visit memorials dedicated to all veterans. He enjoyed knitting and crocheting for many years and produced numerous quilts, afghans, doilies, and blankets for families and friends. After graduation from AIB, Dale worked as a city clerk for Newton, accountant for Goodyear stores in various towns, and finally as an accountant for the state of Iowa, in which he conducted audits and eventually moved up to supervisor position, where he retired in 1989. Throughout his life, 
excuse me, throughout their life, Dale and Kay traveled extensively before and after retirement, having visited Europe, Hawaii, Canada, and most of the U.S. Besides his wife, Kay, Dale is survived by his sister, Dolly Hoffer, and spouse Dale of Medford, Oregon, two sons, Gary Noel and spouse Kelly of Van Meter, and Lee Noel and spouse Lorraine of Des Moines. One daughter, Marguerite Noel of Des Moines, four grandchildren, Missy Rausch and spouse Randy of Baxter, Shay Noel and spouse Lisa of Des Moines, Josh Noel and spouse Felicia of Perigold, Arizona, or excuse me, Arkansas, and Justin Noel of Memphis, Tennessee. Nine great grandchildren, three great great grandchildren, and numerous nieces, nephews, and cousins. The family would like to express their sincere gratitude to the members of the Veterans Administration Hospice, CLC, and palliative care departments in Des Moines. Their dedication and effort to provide quality care over the last weeks were a heartwarming blessing to the entire family. We thank God for the gift of his life and the blessing of the time we spent with him. All are welcome to attend a funeral service honoring Dale at 6.30 p.m. Thursday, May 7th at Isles Westover Chapel. For those unable to attend, please visit Dale's obituary page at www.islescares.com for access to a live stream link just prior to the service at 6.30. On the website, you may also leave online condolences. Cremation rites will follow the service. Burial, all are welcome, will be held at 1 p.m. Saturday, May 9th at Restland Cemetery in Baxter. Memorial contributions can be made to the VA Central Healthcare, Easter Seals, or Blank Children's Hospital. That's it from the obituaries of the register. I'm going to turn to the sports section now, and the first thing I'll read there is actually an obituary of sorts. Former register reporter Dan McCool dies. This is written by Tommy Birch of the register. Wrestling writer Dan McCool, who was as respected and well-known as the athletes and coaches he covered in the sport, died Monday. He was 60 years old. Tony Hager of IAWrestle.com was the first to report the news. McCool's wife, Diane McCool, said the cause of death is believed to be a heart issue. I would say that he's about as well-known in wrestling in Iowa and across the United States from a journalist's point of view as anybody that I know of for this great sport, said Dan Gable, the legendary former Iowa State wrestler and former Iowa coach. McCool had been a longtime writer for the Des Moines Register in the 1990s and early 2000s, covering high school and college sports. The sports ranged from football, baseball, soccer, and swimming. His specialty, though, was wrestling. McCool was the go-to source for high school and college news in the sport while he covered it. He wrote a book detailing the history of the Iowa State Wrestling Tournament called Reach for the Stars, the Iowa High School State Wrestling Tournament. I don't know anyone who logged more miles and visited more high school gyms than Dan McCool, said former Register Sports Editor Bryce Miller. He did it on snowy weekends. He did it on random weeknights. He went to gym after gym after gym to write stories about wrestling in the state of Iowa. He did that because he cared so much about that sport. Miller said nothing in the sport was off limits to McCool, 
who chronicled wrestlers, coaches, and officials. While he'd sit Matt's side at the state wrestling tournament, many of them would seek out McCool for a conversation. Dan loved wrestling and the wrestling family more than anything else except his own family, Diane McCool wrote in a message to the register. He was devoted to advancing the sport and he wanted to keep its history alive to save its future. News of McCool's death brought an outpouring of sadness on social media, with many former wrestlers taking to Twitter to write about what a great ambassador he was for the sport. Just being interviewed by McCool was considered an honor by many wrestlers. He's an institution when it comes to wrestling, Gable said. The feature article on the sports page is titled Risky Business with the subtitle, If Games Return, Players Will Be Ones Facing Virus Danger. It's written by guest columnist Gentry Estes of Nashville, Tennessean. There's also an illustration with this article. It is a photograph of Nick Bonino, a Nashville Predators center from the NHL. He's on the ice in his hockey skates, holding his stick in his hands. He's wearing the white uniform with the uh, gold and I don't know if it's navy blue or black uh, color scheme of the Nashville Predators with the uh, saber-toothed tiger or something on the chest and the number 13 on his shoulder, wearing his white helmet and face shield, of course, as he's playing. Behind the photograph of Nick are three large spheres, the um, iconic COVID-19 illustration. Um, the spheres are blue in this picture, and they have those uh, spiky things all over them, and there are four of them, large ones behind Bonino in this illustration. And here is the article. Predator Center Nick Bonino is like so many of us right now. With news about the COVID-19 crisis, he's all over it. He admits he's re- he reads pretty much everything. There are times, though, he wishes he didn't. There's some days where you just get off your phone and you're just sad, Bonino said. You're just sad about the way it is. There's nothing you can do. You just feel helpless. I'd be surprised if everybody didn't feel like that at some points. Friday marked 50 days since the NHL suspended its season, with the Predators in a heated late-season push to make playoffs that might never happen. Bonino had tweeted a passionate response to videos he was seeing of packed bars on Broadway. He asked people to stay home, wondering if those going out were selfish or just naive. I'm never one to get kind of controversial or political, Bonino said Thursday. I was just upset. I was frustrated that was happening. Everyone is at risk from this virus. There's more at-risk people, but everyone can get it. No one is immune. Everyone can pass it on. I just felt like it was silly that was still happening. I hadn't seen really anyone saying that message from the NHL yet. I didn't know if I should do it, but I just decided to do it. It made me feel better just to have my thoughts out there, even if no one listened to them. Bonino titled his tweet, Friendly Thoughts. He meant well. He doesn't want to be the face for a stance that seemingly grows more political by the day. But a month and a half later, with him still at home in Nashville, working out on a Peloton and stacking Legos with his kids, anything to stay busy, Bonino's thoughts haven't changed. It's safety first. That's the thing I've been hoping will rule the day, Bonino said. I think it has so far, 
We have over a million cases now, 60,000 deaths now. It's not getting much better. We want to keep everyone safe. That's why we paused, and I'm sure that they will take everything into account when they make a decision moving forward. If any Predators player would want to return to the ice as soon as possible, it'd be Bonino, a 32-year-old veteran in the midst of a nice season. His 18 goals are tied for second on the team. Bonino is well within reach of topping his career-best season total of 22. And the NHL is still eyeing a possible return this season. According to a report this week by the Associated Press, the league's leading plan would be to bring teams back to training in mid-May with possible exhibition games in June and ultimately regular season and playoff games at shared, empty, neutral arenas in July. As badly as we all want our sports to return, and as a sports columnist, believe me, I'd be at the front of that line, we tend to forget that if games do return during a global pandemic, risks are going to be unavoidable. And they won't be on me or you. They'll be on players like Bonino and his teammates, the ones leaving families during a frightening time, traveling, fighting for pucks, and also having to deal with health worries they've not had before from a virus they can't see. Sure, Bonino wants to play. Of course he does. But when it comes to actually being able to do that safely, how can he be sure? Bonino, as a parent and husband, is cautious. A hypothetical in the back of his mind, for instance, is of blocking a shot and needing surgery for a broken arm or leg, thus landing him in a hospital where the virus is present. I'm not sure when it will be different, Bonino said. Maybe if there's a vaccine, I could get into everything we read about it when vaccines will come. But it's tough to think about a point when it's going to be completely safe for us to play. I think that's the difficulty both the NHL and the NHLPA face in making a decision. This train might soon leave the station without everyone being consulted. Sports will be back, and they'll probably be back before 2021, when the experts are saying a COVID-19 vaccine will finally be available. In some ways, that's such a welcome, warm, comforting thought. At the same time, what happens if the participating athletes aren't okay with the risks involved? It's easy to say they should be, but we're not the ones having to do it. No one wants to play hockey more than us, he said. We love it. It's our lives. But our health, I I think the health of our families, the health of staff, trainers, their families, comes first. And that's the way it has to be, regardless of money or timelines. Johnston native vies for backup role to Brady. This article comes from Tommy Birch of The Register. Johnston native Reed Sinek grew up a fan of Peyton Manning and the Indianapolis Colts and started playing football because of the surefire future Hall of Famer. Sinek even modeled his game after him. Because Sinek was such an admirer of Manning and the Colts, he began to develop a dislike for another famous quarterback. As a Colts fan growing up, Tom Brady was kind of the enemy, Sinek said. Now he's a co-worker and teammate after the former Dragons quarterback signed a non-drafted free agent contract with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Sinnott, who starred at San Diego, will now have a chance to learn from Brady, 
who signed on with the NFC South squad this offseason after 20 seasons as a member of the New England Patriots. I'm excited to watch somebody that I grew up watching, and I think that changes the dynamic quite a bit when he's done what he's done, Sinnott said. It's going to be special to listen to him and talk about football. Sinnott will get plenty of opportunities. After a strong senior season at San Diego, Sinnott started catching the attention of NFL teams leading up to last month's NFL draft. The Buccaneers didn't end up drafting Sinnott, but they did offer him a chance to join the organization as a non-drafted free agent. Sinnott could have entertained some other free agent offers, but he was impressed with the offense Tampa Bay coach Bruce Arians was developing. He also connected with quarterbacks coach Clyde Christensen. But the biggest selling point was the addition of Brady, a six-time Super Bowl champion with New England. The biggest thing is getting to play behind Tom Brady, who's the best who ever did it, Sinnott said. I'm going to get to learn and see how he attacks the game and tries, to un- and tries to understand defenses and things like that. I think it's going to be beneficial for the longevity of me in the NFL, learning from somebody like that. Also, it's just an unbelievable life experience to be around him. It's an experience Sinnott never thought he'd have as a kid. Sinnott retains plenty of heartbreaking memories watching Brady and the Patriots beat Manning's Colts in the playoffs. Despite the heartbreak and even anger for what Brady did to the Colts, there was always respect for the star quarterback. There was always an appreciation for somebody that's that talented, Sinnott said. Now Sinnott is trying to carve out his own career in the NFL with Brady's help. Sinnott already has quite the success story after waiting for his shot to shine. Sinnott, who didn't start until his final seasons at Johnston and San Diego, made the most of both opportunities. He passed for more than 2,000 yards during his senior high school season. When he eventually took over the starting spot at San Diego, Sinnott threw for 3,528 yards and 32 touchdowns in 2019. The journey hasn't been, as, hasn't been easy for Sinnott, but it has been rewarding, especially now. I'm going to get an opportunity to play in the NFL, Sinnott said. And that may not have happened if I had gone to a bigger school or anything like that. It's part of my story and who I am now. Sinnott said he hasn't yet spoken with Brady. He's still in Johnston throwing with some friends. Sinnott has been watching film and FaceTiming with Christensen during the coronavirus pandemic. He does look forward to that time when he can meet Brady and eventually start contributing to the Buccaneers. I think I'm a smart kid, and I'm going to go into that room and compete and challenge and always prepare like I'm going to be the starter, even though that might not be the case for a couple of years, Sinnott said. I think there's things that I can understand and understand in terms of my role on the team, and find a way to contribute, even if it's not necessarily on Sundays. And finally, from sports, here's an article by Nancy Armour of the USA Today. The headline, Rapino says USWNT never offered same deal. Megan Rapino said the U.S. women were never offered the same contract as the U.S. men undercutting part of a federal judge's reasoning for dismissing their equal pay claim. In an appearance on Good Morning America on Monday, 
Rapino and Alex Morgan said they were shocked by U.S. District Judge R. Gary Klausner's decision Friday to partially grant U.S. Soccer's request for a summary judgment. In his ruling, Klausner wrote the women, quote, cannot now retroactively deem their contract worse than the MNT contract by reference to what they would have made had they been paid under the MNT's pay-to-play structure when they themselves rejected such a structure, end quote. Rapino said that is inaccurate. The men's contract was never offered to us, and certainly not the same amount of money, she said. So to say that we negotiated for a contract, and that's what we agreed to, I think so many women can understand what this feeling is of going into a negotiation knowing equal pay is not on the table. Knowing anywhere close to your male counterparts is not even on the table. Rapino also pointed out the flaw in Klausner's accepting U.S. soccer's argument that the women actually made more from 2015 to 2019. While that's true, it's because the U.S. women won two World Cups and had only six losses during that period, while the men failed to qualify for the 2018 World Cup. Had the men qualified for that World Cup, they would have made substantially more than the women because their bonuses are so much higher. Basically, it's like if I earn $1 every time I play and a man earns $3 just because I win 10 games and he only wins 3 games, and so I make $10 and he made $9. I'm not sure how that's me making more money, Rubino said. It sort of, for me, missed the point, she added. The women do get a base salary, but they have argued that it does not make up for the disparity in bonuses. Klausner did say discrimination claims related to chartered flights, travel, and support staff can go forward. A trial is scheduled for next month in California. Turning to the Iowa Life section, the big article here is titled, Family Hires Violinist. The subheading, she performed during quarantine to mark couple's 65th wedding anniversary. And there is a photograph of the couple um, Gordon and Shirley Blenderman, they, you can see the, their backs, they're sitting into comfy looking chairs at a table that has a tablecloth on it. And they've got a pitcher of iced tea, a vase of roses and a plate full of cookies on the table. They are sitting back in their chairs wearing jackets and a vest. It looks like it's fairly warm, but they're bundled up a little bit. Uh, and in front of them is the fence to the uh, seating area of the senior living facility. And the, behind the fence, outside of the fence on the grass there, is a violinist who is playing to entertain them. And here is the story by Robin Opsel of the Des Moines Register. It may not be a replacement for spending time with family, but having a violinist perform was a nice alternative Sunday for a couple celebrating their upcoming anniversary at a senior living center in Johnston. Gordon, 89, and Shirley Blenderman, 87, live in Edencrest at Green Meadows, a senior housing community in Johnston. The couple is celebrating their 65th wedding anniversary this June. Susan Babcock, assistant manager at the facility, said which means in a normal year, their family would commemorate the occasion. Mary Davidson, their daughter, arranged for a violinist who performs under the name The One Woman Symphony to play at Eden Crest for her parents and the other residents. 
Babcock said the Blenderman's family and others have been finding ways to keep in touch with their senior relatives as social distancing practices advise restricting gatherings and protecting vulnerable populations, which include people over age 65. In addition to a violinist, a flutist has also played at the Senior Living Center, and families are preparing for a drive-by parade on Mother's Day weekend. The events are interspersed between many FaceTime and Zoom calls, letters, and chats through the window, Babcock said. We know this is a challenging time, and we try to be there for families and our residents to make sure people's spirits stay high, she said. It's important to stay in touch and stay positive, and having music here is such an enjoyable way for everyone to celebrate while staying safe. The other story from the Iowa Life section is from Brian Smith. It's titled, Des Moines Storytellers Project Adjusts Schedule. The Des Moines Storytellers Project is canceling two shows out of consideration for audience safety as the coronavirus continues its spread in Iowa. Another show has been rescheduled as part of a series of moves designed to keep four of the original six shows for the project's 2020 season. At its core, the Storytellers Project is about forming connections with our community and lifting up one another's voices. These events have thrived in Des Moines. Since the project's founding in 2015, we have grown into a regular home at Hoyt Sherman Place because of the amazing support of our community. As our team reviewed recommendations from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and public health experts, we knew we couldn't take a risk with this community. We believe these moves, although difficult, are in the best interest of our community, storytellers, and staff. The Des Moines Register joins more than 20 other hosts nationwide in suspending in-person storytellers project shows until September 1. Here are the major changes. The Booted Show, scheduled for June 23rd, and the Bad Advice Show, scheduled for August 25th, are canceled. The Forgiveness or Revenge Show, originally scheduled for April 21st, has been rescheduled and will be presented on September 15th at Hoyt Sherman Place. The rest of the 2020 season will continue as planned, with Nerds Rule on October 27th and Generosity on December 15th. Refunds will be issued for the two canceled shows. Ticketmaster, internet, or phone orders will be refunded automatically, but refunds will take some time to process. Refunds for tickets purchased at the Hoyt Sherman Place box office can be requested once the box office is able to reopen. Tickets for Forgiveness or Revenge will automatically be transferred to the new date. If you are no longer able to attend, a refund will be available at your point of purchase. In the interim, the Des Moines Moines Storytellers Project joins its peers to present a series of live stream shows featuring some of the best stories told on our stages across the country. The series airs on DesMoinesRegister.com, YouTube, and Facebook. Creating empathy and understanding is vital in times of uncertainty, said Megan Finnerty, founder and director of the Storytellers Project, and lifting up our most important universally held values through storytelling is our full-time mission. Our whole hearts are in this project and this special live series. Upcoming live stream shows include Outdoor Adventures, 
my family, my culture, and fresh starts. Two of the first three live stream shows featured storytellers from Des Moines, from Des Moines. Pastor Lindsey Brown joined a show about love in all its forms and former, former storytellers project coach and MC Lynn Ta joined a show about belonging. All three shows are available to rewatch on YouTube. We hope to see you again at Hoyt Sherman Place just as soon as we can. Tickets for all shows are available at DesMoinesRegister.com slash storytellers or at the Hoyt Sherman Place box office once it reopens. If you have questions or concerns, the Storytellers Project team is available at events at dmreg.com or 515-619-6548. And as a recap, here are the 2020 live stream shows, which will air at 7 p.m. Central Time on DesMoinesRegister.com and on the Storytellers Project YouTube and Facebook channels. On May 28th, Outdoor Adventures. On June 11th, Resiliency. June 25th, Friends and Family. July 9th, My Family, My Culture. July 23rd, Stylish Stories. August 6th, Fresh Starts. August 20th, Lessons Learned. And September 3rd, Stories About Stories. Looking at the USA Today Money and Life sections, here are some short stories from the Money Line. U.S. trade deficit widens because of coronavirus. The U.S. trade deficit rose in March as the coronavirus outbreak battered America's trade with the world. The Commerce Department reported Tuesday that the gap between what the United States sells and what it buys abroad widened 11.6% in March to $44.4 billion from $39.8 billion in February. U.S. exports fell 9.6% to $187.7 billion on plunging orders for cars, auto parts, and industrial machines. Imports fell 6.2% to $232.2 billion. Total trade came in at $419.9 billion in March, down 7.8% from February and 11.4% from March of 2019. Service sector contracts for first time since 2009. The U.S. service sector shrank for the first time in a decade last month as the pandemic forced shutdowns and layoffs nationwide. The Institute for Supply Management said Tuesday that its service sector index fell to 41.8 in April, compared with a March reading of 52.5. Any reading below 50 signals that the service sector is in a contraction. It was the first time the index has been in contraction since December of 2009, and it was the lowest reading since March of that year. Humana to cover Medicare Advantage bills. The health insurer Humana will cover the bill for millions of customers when they are ready to return to the doctor's office. The insurer said Tuesday that it is waiving co-payments, deductibles, and other out-of-pocket costs for the rest of the year for Medicare Advantage customers who visit their primary care doctor or see a behavioral specialist. The care has to take place in the insurer's network. Humana, Incorporated covers nearly 4.5 million people as the nation's second largest provider of Medicare Advantage plans. And here's a run-through of the market numbers. 
The Dow Jones Industrial Average up 133.33 points or up 0.6%. Standards and Poor's 500 is up 25.7% or 0.9%. NASDAQ Composite was up 98.41 points, which is 1.1%. And the Russell 2000 was up 9.54 points for a increase of 0.8%. Here's a quick piece about your potentially favorite fast food restaurant. Some wonder where's the Wendy's beef? And this is by Brett Molina. And the subheading reports say some locations aren't selling burgers. The ad slogan, where's the beef, is taking on a whole new meaning for fast food chain Wendy's. Multiple reports suggested some Wendy's locations are out of beef, which means customers can't order burgers. In a note released Tuesday, Stevens analyst James Rutherford said nearly one in five Wendy's restaurants were out of beef because of its famous focus on fresh beef. In a statement obtained by USA Today, Wendy's said some menu items may be temporarily limited at some restaurants. It is widely known that beef suppliers across North America are currently facing production challenges, said Wendy's in a statement. We continue to supply hamburgers to all of our restaurants with deliveries two or three times a week, which is consistent with normal delivery schedules. However, some of our menu items may be temporarily limited at some restaurants in this current environment. We're working diligently to minimize the impact to our customers and restaurants and continue to work with our supplier partners to monitor this closely. Rutherford noted the shortages don't appear consistent across the country, and some states, including Michigan, Ohio, and Tennessee, are more affected than others. WXYZ, a Fox affiliate in Warren County, Michigan, reported that a sign placed at a Wendy's warned drive through customers the restaurant was not selling any beef because of shortages. The coronavirus pandemic sparked fears of meat shortages after processing plants shut down because of outbreaks. At least 4,400 plant workers across 80 plants have become sick. Grocers, including Kroger and Wegmans, instituted purchase limits on meats to ensure there is enough for shoppers. Costco, Costco announced Monday it would temporarily limit, meat, temporarily limit meat purchases to three items per person. And I did hear locally that Hy-Vee is limiting, as of today, meat purchases to four per person. Here's a quick story from the Lifeline section of the USA Today. Anderson Cooper, the CNN anchor, welcomed a baby boy, Wyatt Morgan Cooper, via surrogate recently and opened up to the to Stephen Colbert about dad life and co-parenting with his former partner, Benjamin Maisani. It's extraordinary. It's astonishing, Cooper said. I just stare at him and hold him and I just can't believe that he's going to depend on me and that he belongs to me and that he's here and it's just astonishing. I just never dreamed. I mean, I've always dreamed about it, but I never thought I would actually be able to do it. It's just been incredible. Cooper, 52, said that although he and Mesani are no longer together, he's still family, and he wants him to be Wyatt's family too. 
And another celebrity birth, Elon Musk, the Tesla CEO and his musician girlfriend Grimes, real name Claire Boucher, welcomed their first child together on Monday. Musk shared a photo of himself to Twitter holding his newborn baby boy in the hospital early Tuesday morning. This is Grimes's first child. Musk has five sons, a set of twins and a set of triplets from his previous marriage. It's time now for Dear Abby. Abby has two letters today. The column's title is Reconnecting with Son's Dad Makes Divorcee Giddy. Dear Abby, I just divorced my husband. We were together for 13 years. The last three weren't great. After my divorce, I reconnected with my son's father, and we are in love. Our romance was doomed back then. Our son is now 18. Today, our situation is very different. We are both doing well financially and individually. We are blissfully happy and don't rehash the past. Am I crazy? Signed, In Love in Nevada. Abby says, Dear In Love, you aren't crazy, but you are recently divorced and didn't mention how long you have been, quote, reconnected with your son's father. I urge you to take the time to get to know each other again. I also think you should rehash the past because unless the problems of years ago are resolved, they may be repeated. And the second letter, Dear Abby, I have been in a relationship for almost a year. I tried to stay away from him. He's married, and his wife was diagnosed with cancer last year. I have tried to end things three times, but he keeps coming back and begging me to wait. I feel so guilty for the things I want from him because of his wife's condition. Please help. Signed, Difficult Situation. Abby says, Dear Situation, If you are sincere about not wanting to cause this man's family more pain, step away now, in capital letters. His wife should be the focus of his attention. If this relationship is the real thing, it can be restarted when he is free from the responsibility he assumed when he promised, until death do us part. And that brings us to the end of today's reading of the Des Moines Register for today, Wednesday, May 6, 2020. You can hear this show again at 6 p.m. and then again at 1 a.m. Recordings are available on our website, iowaradioreading.org. All material heard on IRIS is intended for the use of Iowans who are print disabled. If you have any questions or comments, give us a call at 515-243-6833. You can also call toll-free from anywhere in Iowa, 1-877-404-4747. Once again, we want you to know that our program schedule has changed so that we can get as much local information to as many listeners as possible. The Fort Dodge Messenger will be read at 7 a.m. Monday through Friday. The Mason City Globe Gazette will be read at 8 a.m. Monday through Friday. Your Des Moines Register will continue to be read from 9 a.m. to noon each day. The Cedar Rapids Gazette will be read at noon, seven days a week. The Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier will be read at at 1 p.m. seven days a week. The Dubuque Telegraph Herald will be read at 2 p.m. Monday through Friday. The Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil will be read at 3 p.m. Monday through Friday. The Sioux City Journal will be read at 4 p.m. seven days a week. 
The Ames Tribune will be read at 5 p.m. Monday through Friday, and your midweek shopping cart will be read each Wednesday at 9 p.m., so listen for that today. We will stay with this schedule until further notice. I'm your reader, Dale Finnegan. It has been my pleasure to read for you today. Stay tuned for today's reading now of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. And thank you for listening to Your Iris, Iowa's first and only radio reading service.